The music is provided by Calvary Quartet. You can have more of their music at calvaryquartet.com or log on to our website at gospelbaptistchurch.com. There came a sound from heaven, a mighty rushing wind. It filled their hearts with Bibles in Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. I want to talk to you about a riveting subject this morning. It's definitely not a deeply exegetical study, but it is a preaching on a principle. The principle of regret. The Bible speaks of it often. I'm going to give you a four examples that have I've accumulated over the years. I try to preach this message at least once every five years. Uh, I started it in 2010, and this is 2015, so this will be my second round of this message because I made a promise to a young girl in 1974. And because of that, I, you'll see why I am obliged to do this and this subject and to give her illustration that she asked me to promise to do. Matthew chapter 8, verse 11 to 12, just a short passage. There's so many others, Hebrews chapter 12, Proverbs 5, and so many other places, but we'll just mention this one. I, and I say unto you that many shall come from the east and west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. If you're with me in my Sunday school class, we're talking about the starting of Hebrew history. We're on the timeline of the chronology of the Bible. We're starting how God was to spread the news of who he was to the world. And he chose a man by the name of, his name was Abram, eventually Abraham, and used through him to reach the rest of the world with the news that there was a God, and he loved them. Eventually, through him, of course, came the Christ, uh, which was to die on the cross and pay for our sins and create for us an opportunity to be saved by simple, serious but simple repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, death, 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 uh, death burial, and resurrection. And if you have done that, and if you've meant it in your heart, and it's real, then you've been born again. Did I just change here, my sound? I just changed? No? Up here it did. Make sure these uh, 
these fullbacks are not on. Make sure the fullbacks are not. Make sure the fullbacks are not on. Pull the plug on those wings. Anyway, well, something does sound different, doesn't it? it? Did it get better? Better is good. Better is good. You think we're in a spiritual warfare? You think we wrestle not against flesh and blood? You think that Satan's a principality and power of the air? That's electronics. I think he is too if you've ever owned a computer. Verse 12, but the children of the kingdom, the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness and there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I want you to notice that. Jesus' words, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, I've only seen that happen once in my life. In the meantime, while I'm telling you this, I'm going to check the battery on this, make sure it's not low, okay? There should be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I saw an accident when I went to uh, driver's education after receiving my first traffic ticket. How many are in the school? You've gone to school, driver's school, amen? How I got my first traffic ticket was in 1965. I remember it well. I was downtown Elkhart, Indiana. And I had, a, uh, I had a Buick F-150, I think they called it, jacked up in the back with slicks about this wide. I, I pulled up beside a car of good-looking girls. And I looked over at them, and my maleness took over. I floored it with my foot on the brake, or, and my foot on the clutch, slipped it off the clutch, and sat there and just smoked began to pile like this and enveloped her car, my car, and the whole traffic light. And then I just eased my way through the traffic light and went on. As I looked in my rearview mirror, I saw come through the smoke a car with little bubbles on top. I pulled over to the side, and the cop got out. He was laughing so hard he couldn't talk for a minute. He said, those girls got you, didn't they? And he said, they're going to cost you. <laughs> Beginning of a long life lesson. But I had to go to traffic school. Four hours of traffic school. Now, I didn't realize what traffic school was, but it was torture. They've since banned it. But they made us set for four hours and watch highway department, state police, tapes of accidents and these weren't just your little fender benders these were some bad boy accidents and I never heard and saw such gore such horror in my whole life I still remember one guy had broken his back and he was begging God to kill him he was eating dirt and and throwing anything he could into his mouth because his back was broken and he gnashed his teeth and in a manner wept. But it was beyond that. But that's what Jesus is saying here. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now what, that, what the sad part about those words is, those are, that's weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's not your simple little crying. It's as deep as a human being can go in his expression of emotion. And it's based on regret. 
regret. It has been said that the pain of personal discipline is weighed in ounces, but the pain of regret is weighed in pounds. I want this morning, by the grace of God, to save somebody in this audience and through this tape and where it goes in, on the Internet, to save somebody through God's Word and through this message and the illustrations of it from the horror of the fate of regret. We all have a glitch. We have lots of glitches. And we have this syndrome in us. Every person here has felt the sting of regret and this syndrome if they've lived past 12 years old. It is not long as you mature in this life that you feel this sting and make this mistake. It starts out in early life, relatively minor, early in our lives. We have something that we like. We have something that we possess, something we have. But because of our misbehavior, our parents take it from us. How many ever suffered that, that thing? Your parents took something from you because of your misbehavior. The rest of you lying. <laughs> we lose it. We lose it. I used to have a BB gun. I just love to shoot a BB gun. My mother came to me one time and said, you know, I notice there's no birds here anymore. Don't give your kid a BB gun. And they, I had done something wrong. They said, I want your BB gun. You don't get a BB gun anymore. Oh, man, don't take my BB gun. Not my BB gun. One time I came home drunk. I drove home drunk. So drunk I couldn't walk. And I drove home. Now, you know what my mom, she went ballistic. She didn't go ballistic just because I was wicked and disobedient and and drunk. But she thought about me driving home and how I could have killed somebody else and then maybe killed my, in fact, I didn't maybe kill myself. Now, there was a mixed emotion in her where she was glad I was somehow saved, but she wanted to kill me. And she said, your car's gone. I had paid for my own car, worked for my own car, made all the money, that, you know. And your car's gone. Your car's gone. We're putting it up on that. Well, they had a business right on Casaba Street there, and they said, putting it out on the point. There was a little point where they sold a lot of stuff. She said, your car's going on the point. That was that F-150 with the jacked up. And the... But it was beautiful. You see yourself in the paint. I said, oh, Mom, the next day. She called the cops on me, by the way. That's a good mom. Called the cops on me. Three big old bruisers come in with sticks out, ready to beat me up. I said, I'm, I, I give up. I wasn't resisting anything. She said, beat him up. <laughs> I said, those guys, they didn't beat me up. I mean, you know, they said, well, you want to take him to jail? We don't have any charge against him. He's home. Man, I'll tell you what, for six months, I, I suffered a sting of regret. One decision, one stupid decision, and I lost my car, and I lost my, and they made me go on the bus at 16 years old. There's nothing more humiliating than to have to ride a school bus once you've been in your own little car, and you know you're going there. I took the school bus for six months, and every day I took it, I thought, oh, why did I do that? Why did I do it? If only I had obeyed, if only I had listened, if only I had done what was right. 
I wouldn't have lost it. Now, it was something simple as losing your car. That wasn't really, in the big picture, that huge of a loss. Ultimately, it could have been I had lost a leg. It could have been I had lost my ability to walk. It could have been I had killed somebody, and I always had it on my mind that I, in drunken stupor, driving home, had killed somebody. And God had mercy on me. In His discipline of me, He had mercy on me. That all I lost that day was my car, which she did sell. But as life progresses, the consequences of disobediences get bigger. And they get deeper. And sometimes permanent. In many cases, the things are lost, they're not replaceable. They never come back again in life. The weeping is deeper, the more dramatic, the anguish deeper, exhaustingly deeper, filled with horror and grief to, re- to really no avail. Whatever is gone is gone and cannot and will not come back. Two reactions at this point in life is repentance and change of direction. Or anger and bitterness. When God comes in your life and tells you, and somehow it starts, it usually starts minor, like, like my parents did. They would start with a minor a loss or a minor discipline. And if I would repent and change direction, they were good with that. That was enough. That was you said. But but sometimes I wouldn't listen. I wouldn't repent. I'd get angry at him and bitter at him. I'd go, boy, you know, they took me. I can't believe that she sold my it was my car. Of course, I'm eating their food under their roof. (laughs) Through the years, I have had set across my desk in my office some very painful experiences in my hearing of deep regret. Let me give you a few of them. I'm hoping to help somebody. I don't know who I'm going to help this morning, but I know the Word of God will not return void, and I know somebody, in fact, probably multiple amount of folks in this room are on the edge of losing something because of your disobedience, because of your unwillingness to realize the beauty, the situation possibly that you're in, and the opportunity that you have, you're going to miss it, and eventually you come around to this regret, this thing of regret. The title of the message is, Know What You Have Before You Lose It. No, it, 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 is, it is small consolation to know what you have after you lose it. Amen, we all get that. We get it. Man, I hear people talk about this. I had a hair stylist come into my office years ago. Had her little place up there in San Carlos Park. She came in. She was bald, frail, 40-year-old woman, local hairstylist with a bandana wrapped around her head to cover her baldness. She made her way into my office one morning. I had known her. I, I recognized her from a local restaurant we used to eat called Friends and Company in the 90s. She was nervous, apprehensive to talk, but she felt deeply motivated to go by all of her embarrassment and to come in 
and to speak with me. Her conversation went something like this. Pastor, I want to tell you my story so that you can tell others. I have terminal lung cancer. I've taken all the chemotherapy that I can take. I, I am going to die. I've smoked since I was a teen, knew it was bad for me. I've attempted many times to quit smoking, but just didn't. Please, preacher, tell those you see to quit before it's too late. The pathos in her shaky voice moved me to tears. I wept right with her. She wept, I wept. She said, preacher, with all of the energy that she could muster from her soul, she said, preacher, I want to live. So many undone things in my life. She did not know what she had until she lost it. That doesn't have to be you. That doesn't have to be you. You're sitting here this morning in the sea of opportunity and optimism in your life and things are doing well, but there are challenges. The Word of God has, has been complained to you. You've heard the truth over and over, possibly in being raised in a Christian home. Your parents pointed you the right direction. They say, here's the light. There's the way. Walk in it. But in your willfulness and in your, in your pride and your self-assurance that you know better than all those instructors and teachers around you, you said, I don't want to do it. I don't think it makes a difference. I don't think it's true. You know what's going to happen in the end of the age? Everybody that's ever taken a breath or ever known anything is going to bow their knee before Jesus Christ and say, you were right. I can tell you this, it's a whole lot better to say it now. A whole lot better to say it on this side than to say it on that side because you haven't felt regret till you stand before Jesus Christ in eternity. Not having obeyed Him. I think of a, a person, uh, Mrs. Bohannon. Gene remembers Miss Bohannon. In fact, you were probably in prayer meeting the night this happened. There's not many of us left. There used to be a bunch of us, you know. Mrs. Bohannon came to prayer meeting. One prayer meeting, she stood up to give a testimony. Her pallor, her color, her skin color was kind of gray-whitish. You know what I'm talking about. She pub you know, like most of the northerners look when they come down. I've seen some folks out on the beach that cadavers look better than that. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But if I showed you my legs, you'd say the same thing. And I live here. One prayer meeting, the old girl stood up. With this old gray, whitish pallor, most of us knew what was going on. She publicly confessed that she had been a smoker since her entire for her entire Christian life, her experience. She knew better, she said. She had been convicted about smoking. It was destroying her body. And there's, there's warning in Scripture not to destroy the temple of the Holy Spirit whom, whom you've been given. This body's a gift from God. He said, take care of it. 
And she said, I've smoked my entire life. I, I, tried, I tried to quit. She publicly confessed that she had been a smoker, and, and she wanted to quit. She was convicted. But maybe one of the more sad things in her confession was she was unwilling to quit. And because she was unwilling to quit, she had missed opportunities. What was on her mind not was so much the fact she was dying. What was on her mind was the opportunities that she had walked by. Because she smoked, she didn't teach Sunday school class. She felt she wasn't qualified. She had held back from many church uh, opportunities to serve and the minister because of the guilt that she had about smoking when she knew it was wrong. And, she, and the Holy Spirit had convicted her of that, not the advertisements. Now, it was too late. She had a brain tumor, lung tumor, probably liver tumor. She had them all over her body. She was dying. But she asked us in that prayer meeting to tell those in the future and warn them. And I'm doing that right now. Warn them. Know what you have before you lose it. Ask God to help you. Know what you have before you sacrifice it. You know, we only get one shot at this life. You only got one go through. You don't get to go through and go back and say, hey, you know, I don't like the way I did that. I'm going to take a rerun on my teenage years. You don't get to do that. There were two kids that sat beside me uh, and around me in one of my classes in high school, junior year in high school, and he had a GTO. We call him GOAT. He had, a, he had a GTO with three four-barrels. No, three two-barrels. Three two-barrels in a line. And the linkage had a tendency to stick. And, and, and one day on, on a Thursday, if I remember the day right, I went to class and I said, well, where, the, his seat was empty. I thought, where, where, where is he? Oh, other students said, didn't you know? He and his brother were going over 100 mile an hour, missed a curve, and hit a tree 12 feet off the ground and wrap the car around the tree they're both dead. Know what you have before you lose it. Sometimes you don't get a chance to go back and undo it. Praise God for the opportunities we get to go back and to heal, or to go back and undo it, or to go back and by the grace of God learn from it. But some people don't get that chance. These people didn't. I was going door to door in South Carolina back in the 70s. And I was uh, into this little ragged out area where they had uh, trailers. I come from Elkhart, Indiana, a trailer town, man. And these were little old ragged out trailers. And we stopped by this one trailer in this young, 20, early 20s, early 20s. A girl comes out and she had these, uh, she was in this old rag, you know, you know, a ragged out trailer. Insulation's hanging out the bottom. You know, the wires have been wired outside the window and brought in the window, you know, to make the thing. I mean, it's just a uh, bale wire held together. And, and so we knocked down the door, and this girl came, and she, she looked rough. Her clothes looked ragged out. Her little ragamuffin kids came out, about two or three of them. I don't remember how many. Two, three kids come out the door talking, you know, coming out and talk, talking to us. And she said, uh, I said, we've come by from the church. I'd like to talk to you about Jesus. She said, oh, please come in. So with her kids there and this other guy I had, we went in the little house there. And began to, I thought it was going to be a normal type of a visit, but surprising to me, she grew very serious. And her tears welled up in the girl's eyes, and she looked at us, and she says, I want you 
to tell everyone, wherever you go, my story. Do you promise? Now, I don't ask people really do that to me much. I don't really like to promise anything. The Bible says, if the Lord wills, read this and this and that, I'll do it. But she says, will you promise to repeat my story? I go, okay, well, I'm 24, 25 years old. I said, all right, we'll, we'll repeat your story. She said, I was raised in a Christian home. I had godly mom and dad. I had a bright future ahead of me with great opportunities to serve Jesus on my right hand and on my left. I chose early on to be immoral and and promiscuous in my life. She said, would you tell all of the young girls wherever you go not to make the mistake that I've made? My life has been permanently changed. I cannot regain what I have lost. Please, mister. And I I can't... Recreate the pathos. Please, mister, please. Please tell everybody that you meet through the years not to do what I did. I was asked years ago to visit one of our members' son who was in the hospital up here. I went in the hospital about 15, actually right now about 20 years ago. The couple that was in our church, a godly couple, loved the Lord, been a deacon, served God their whole life. Their son's about 35 years old. And they said, our son's sick in the hospital up there. Would you go see him? I said, sure, I'll be glad to go see him. They said, we don't know if he's saved or not. Would you go talk to him about Jesus? And I said, I will. I arrived at the hospital, and, I, and normally I arrive and find out what room it is, go in there. But this visit was different. I went up to the, in the area of the hallway, and I noticed it was the very, his room was the very end of the hallway, and as I got closer to the room, I noticed all kinds of signs, warning. Now, this was years ago when the medical profession did not understand AIDS well. They did not know really how it spread, how easily it may have spread, so they were unaware quite of what to do. So they put the guy in the end of the hallway in a room, and they didn't allow anybody to go in there unless they put this, this gown and stuff on you. They said, you've got to wear this gown, you've got to wear these gloves, you've got to wear these footies, and, and I said, uh, I don't want to do that. Oh, we recommend you do that. We recommend highly that you wear all this. This was before lawyers took over medicine. I said, no, I'm not going to wear it. Today you wouldn't do this. And they said, okay, you go in at your own risk. I said, I will. I walked in there, walked up beside When I walked in the room, the, 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 the uh, covers were up over him, but it was right up to his neck here. And, and the sight that I saw was a, a perfectly normal 35-year-old head with deep, thick black hair, beautiful head of hair. And as I, my eyes went from his head down through, the, I bet I could see his two knees sticking up and his two feet sticking up, and... I could see through the sheet the ribs on him, on his chest, and his bones of his shoulders. And if I'm, what I'm trying to explain to you was he was a skeleton with a perfectly formed head and a normal set of hair. But he was a skeleton with just flesh hanging over the bones. And he, he came up and he says, I said, I'm Pastor Bill, and I know Mom and Dad, and we introduced ourselves. I talked to him about Jesus a little bit and what he did in his life. And, and I spoke with him. And I'll never forget. I can feel it right now when I, 
put my hand out to him to shake his hand, he put this bony hand in mine and took my hand. I can feel the bones of his hand covered with skin, bones covered with skin. He looked like a man that had gotten out of like pictures of the concentration camps of World War II. I spoke to him, he responded. He hesitantly held my hand. After dealing with him about his salvation, he said he was raised in a good Christian home. I knew he was. But he had become rebellious to the things of God. He got turned away and turned off to the things of the Bible as a teenager. And he felt he was going to do his own thing and live an immoral life. First he was heterosexual, but later on he became a homosexual. He said, preacher, I'm sorry for the life I lived. And he asked Jesus to forgive him. His breathing was labored. His speech was slow. He told me he was dying from a parasite that is found in almost all water. A common, normal parasite that's found in almost all water. But he said, because I've got AIDS, my body won't fight it. I am literally being eaten, preacher, by this parasite in my body. And he was dying. It was eating him. Three days later, he passed away. He did not know what he had until he lost it. Let me ask you a question. Is that going to be you? Is that going to be you this morning? Are you going to reinvent the wheel, make life the way you want it, defy all the rules, not follow Jesus, believe the Bible isn't true, go your own way? I look over a sea of faces this morning, a sea of optimism, a sea of opportunity Oh, I think back in my life how close I was to losing what I had before I figured out its value. All I can say is I thank God He had mercy on my soul that the Word of God and, and my mother's prayers and whatever else was able to just allow me to have enough wisdom to see it before it was too late. That I wasn't like these four examples that were on the other side of it. They'll be weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth at both judgments. They'll be weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth at the judgment of the seat of Christ as Christians realize what they, how they've blown it. Yes, they're born again. Yes, they're saved. Yes, their sins were covered under the blood. But they lost the opportunity to work for Jesus. They lost the opportunity to serve Him. They lost the opportunity to follow Him. They lost the opportunity to win their neighbors to Christ and the friends that worked to Christ and to tell the gospel everywhere they went. They lost the opportunity to pass out gospel tracts. They lost the opportunity to be in the bus ministry. They lost the opportunity because they sat and they sat and they waited and finally life was over. And they'll stand before Jesus. Yes, they'll be saved. The Bible says they'll be saved. As by fire. Meaning all their works will be burned up. And they're going to get into heaven. Yes, but by the skin of their teeth. And that's a biblical phrase. And trust me, the weeping. The Bible says they'll, be, they'll suffer loss. Look the Greek words up. 
It's the weeping. It's the gnashing of teeth that Jesus is saying. You don't want to be one of those. You don't have to be one of those. You can take what you heard this morning, get your Bible out, start reading it. Listen, how many people have Bibles all over their houses, but they never read them? you got the opportunity to know the wisdom of the ages today. But you don't take advantage of it, and, and you don't know what you have until you lose it. Thank the Lord, hallelujah, glory to God, hallelujah. As an 18-year-old kid, I decided to believe God and began to read the Word and thank the Lord that I don't look back on my life with all these massive regrets and saying, man, I wish, oh, I, everybody has some regret, no doubt. Oh, I have some regret. The judgment seat of the great white throne, however, will even be worse. There'll be people at the great white throne that sat in churches like this. Great white throne judgment, nobody's saved. They're all going to be cast into the lake of fire. Revelation chapter 20, read it. And there'll be people, millions, according to Jesus, that have heard the gospel time and time again, that have sat under a neighbor, sat under a mom and dad, or taught them about uh, grandpa and grandpa, that taught about Jesus, and they just said, no, I don't want it, I don't believe it. And they turned away from it. They did not know what they had. They did not know the opportunity they had until they lost it. But at the great white throne, when they stand before Jesus Christ and their sins are reviewed, and the Bible says their mouth is stopped, the evidence is so great, and they fall on their knees and say, Jesus, your Lord, It will be too late. Too late. Too late. I believe God will recall the thousands of opportunities they had that they dismissed and said, I'm, I've got time. I'm going to live. I've got time. The truth is not one of us knows we're going to be here tomorrow. Not one of us. I know the, the odds are you will be, but there's odds also that one of you won't be here next Sunday. Will you know what you have before you lose it, will you? Will you? I hope you're not like Esau, who did not know what he had before he lost it. I hope you're not going to be like Judas Iscariot, that did not know what he had until he lost it. Father, we pray this morning you'd guide and direct every word. The warning's been given. I faithfully kept my promise to this young lady in South Carolina I met so many years ago. Father, would you save some young ladies from an immoral life here? Would they believe the wisdom of the Word of God over the wisdom of their peers? Would they be, believe the wisdom of the Holy Spirit as He comes to them and encourages them to do right? And the boys, the same thing. And the others in this room, some of you older, you already have some things that you've lost and can't regain. You already had the bitter sting of this syndrome. Don't let it happen again. Father, we pray that you'd anoint 
There could be some here without Christ. They've heard the gospel over and over and over again, but they never said yes because they they don't want to give their life over to God. They don't want to give their future over to God, but yet you don't understand. You have no future. That looks good without God. There is no future without God. All history is going to prove that man cannot live separate from God. He'll, He'll kill himself, destroy himself. Father, we pray that you'd explain it better than I have, that there may be some here like to talk to one of us about what it means to be saved, how, they, how to know you know you have eternal life. You can do that. That's the Bible. Don't leave these premises without talking to one of us. Maybe some of you in a moment as we sing a couple of verses just as I am will make this old front of these steps an altar and say, I'm going to kneel down to the preacher here in the front and say, God save me so that I don't have to learn the hard way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Whoa.